millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everyone. It is a Red Men Originals podcast. I am Paul Machen, Chris Page, at Chloe Box from Dan Club. Um, I've just... Put a big smile on our face because we've just very briefly spoken to Toffee TV, uh, who are in a, an absolute terrible place right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> as bad as Everton's place in the league. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So, uh, we're going to be talking about Liverpool's uh, win at the weekend. We're going to be talking transfers. We're going to talk on uh, Wataru Endo as well. He obviously signed in the interim period between last week's podcast and this week's podcast. Oh, great play footy as well. <laughs> oh yeah, look at this. Well, yeah, you did say to me. So once, and we went the game. We nearly wore the same because nearly wore the same. <laughs> now I've seen it on a screen. I can really see it. I couldn't see it in person, but now, yeah, wow, God. All right, Tanya. That's so that he nearly happened in front of fifty thousand people as well. Yeah, well, it's more now. Um, oh, there are about. Um, Sans, yeah, I mean, for those of you listening on the podcast, me and Chris have got the same coloured shorts. Uh, what, let me see, traps. Black traps, green yeah, shorts, same outfit. white shorts, same outfit. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> the Ant and Deck comparisons are going to the moon here, aren't yeah. they? We're ready for the next series of I'm a Celebrity. Uh, right, we're going to move on because this is cripplingly embarrassing. Um, let's just dive into it. Liverpool, um, speaking of crippling oh, embarrassing, Christ. Liverpool's first 10 minutes performance against Bournemouth, Chris Pajak. Um, so I, I went back this morning and rewatched the first half an hour just to kind of place it all in my head because people have a tendency to expand uh, well, the game. No, the opposite. <laughs> expand like Liverpool crap for X amount of minutes. It's normally like it gets rounded up or it gets lowered down depending on how people tend to shoot it in my head we were terrible for 10 minutes and then we were alright and then we got into the game and it's almost literally like to the minutes when Bournemouth have their last we have our last sort of hairy moment and then we get better but we were we were all over the place for the first 10 we really were like I mean and the worst part about it and I, I, I sort of talking about this yesterday to somebody is that for me Liverpool were poor last season at the start of games, but Liverpool were poor last season at the start of games defensively. Liverpool went poor on the ball to a man yeah. at the start of games. That's that's a different problem. And I think it's too easy sometimes for everyone to go, oh, we were poor at the beginning of the game, same as last year. I disagree. I think, we, were, yeah, we're, the end result is the same, but for completely different reasons. So there's no like panic stations that it's just a continuation of the start of last season because we got ourselves out of it. It was horrendous, like absolutely horrendous and completely different to the game against Chelsea where we started so well uh, and then sort of faded out of it but Trent Alexander-Arnold on the ball was atrocious in the first 10 minutes um, Canate and Trent and their positioning and, and, and the talking and 
between each other. Horrendous first 10 minutes. Allison didn't know whether he was coming or going first 10 minutes. Even Virgil van Dijk, I thought, had an absolutely outstanding game all in. First 10 minutes, I don't think he was very good. Um, and I feel like it was an illusion of confidence from the back four. Like, we're playing with a completely new midfield. I know Gakpo's played there a little bit. All right. But we are playing with a new midfield, essentially. And they're trying to project confidence onto the midfield. And in, when you're projecting something that you're not feeling, it's very obvious. And I felt that was it. I think Liverpool were trying to be too calm in possession. Mm-hmm. And because they were trying to be too calm, they weren't doing the simple things right. Yeah, I, I think the way the similarities to last season is just us going behind to a team that we're expecting to beat. Dan. You know, we saw that so many times last season. But mm-hmm. I agree with Chris. It was just, it just looked sloppy. It just looked, it, I don't like lazy, but it, it, we didn't look switched on enough and Allison's the, pe- the prime example of that it just looked like he hadn't warmed up properly his touch and it actually loads of guys the first touch like Salah has a good opportunity when he's played in and the flag goes up but it's, it would have been questionable um, Allison a couple of times gets mm-hmm. himself into huge trouble Trent puts himself into bother a couple of times with a bad, with a bad touch and and thus Liverpool it was it was a really again sluggish was a word I heard used elsewhere but yeah. that's about the best way I can describe yeah, it yeah sluggish lackadaisical not switched on not at it all of the above really we were nowhere near for the first 10 minutes and it was really it was disheartening in many ways and Chris is right to sort of suggest that the actual problems are different than what we've seen last year but it did I think we've all come into the season with sort of renewed energy renewed vigour and then when you see us struggle for the first 10 minutes of a football match you go god I've seen this before you know what I mean because we've seen it most of last season so it was a little bit disappointing but yeah the touches were so far off you mentioned a few of them there Salah's definitely Trent obviously we end up conceding and then conceding again via a bad Trent <laughs> which isn't like him at all really his quality's normally at it and it just wasn't for any by any stretch of imagination and also there was the moment where Jota gets pretty much in on goal as well and his touches off as well so it was kind of spreading through the team nobody to a man kind of or seem capable of settling us and seem capable of getting the foot on the ball and calming us down and we were all over the place it's just and the problem is with that and Bournemouth hurt us and they could have hurt us again of course but better teams might hurt you time and time again we could easily be two possibly even three nil down by the time we even got into the game and better teams will come to Anfield and they'll try and do that to us now because they'll have sensed the weakness there so we need to sort of get rid of that like we did recover we end up winning the game of course but that can't be a trend that continues that was a problem last year we couldn't shake it yeah. that can't be the case again this season they just came, they came out the blocks and I thought, they, I thought their game plan was quite brave and it was interesting because in, in, I was listening to the LFC TV commentary and it was like I think it was Ronnie Whelan saying well, we know what Bournemouth are going to do they're going to sit here they're going to look to it it's on the counter attack and they never they got in Liverpool's faces from winning one Chloe and again that goes back to it whether it's sluggishness or trying to be over calm or whatever, Liverpool just didn't look ready to have a bunch of lads really getting in the face from minute one of the game. Yeah, we said in the match build-up that this is a manager who likes to play footy, who mm-hmm. likes to put teams under pressure. He's going to put his philosophy in place. He's not going to sit there and come to Anfield and be scared. And rightfully so, because we got played off the park for 60 minutes at Chelsea. We, in my opinion, we did. For the first 30, we were brilliant. And there was things that that Bournemouth side would have taken from that and thought, brilliant, can get at these and it was almost and you mentioned there for different reasons we were all over the place but it very much still did feel like get at Liverpool and they'll make their own mistakes and it did a minute in they put it in the back of the net because Trent and Allison don't command uh, or don't give a shout to anyone um you know we, we get away with that the warning sign was there and then a minute later we concede because Trent's you know playing about with it and I, I get what you mean the first 10 we were horrific for but I actually thought for the first 30 we were still giving the ball away far too many times it was trying to be too cute trying to be too skillful <laughs> these passes around the corners 
and I was just screaming at them to just do the simple ball just recycle it keep hold of it uh, take the pressure off us because you know Bournemouth still had a couple of counter-attacks on us where they'd you know we'd try and do a ball around the corner you know be too skillful uh, we'd lose it and they'd just drive at us and we didn't know whether to close down to to engage to push out or whether to drop um, and they caused us a couple of problems so I, I did think it, take, it took us 30 minutes until we actually had a real spell of dominance um, but yeah like you said you, you can't let that keep happening that needs to be the example for what n- doesn't happen um, you're also lucky that you would that you were at home for that because if that's in an away stadium and that happens in the first five ten minutes of a game you, you're struggling with the atmosphere as well you've mm-hmm. gave them a lift um, so we were lucky that we were at home we had the crowd to absolutely fume at us because the crowd was livid with the way we were playing um, and thankfully you know we we got ourselves composed, which last year we didn't manage to do a lot of the time. Just to riff on something that Chloe was saying there, I felt like you know we've we've spoken a lot about this three four three, haven't we, or three box three, however you want to say it. And I felt like Liverpool started with Trent trying to move inside. Obviously, the first one really comes from Trent playing in the middle of the park, doesn't he? And mm-hmm. it wasn't. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that we had a, a, a spell of years, a good five or six years of playing four three three. We knew that formation inside and out. We're about thirteen or fourteen games into this formation at the moment there are going to be teething problems but I think when you come into this season everyone now knows that's the formation that you're going to be playing so they've worked on it you know during the week how, how are we going to make it difficult for Liverpool where are we going to attack them in the middle of the park those two defensive midfielders the ball player midfielders for Liverpool and I think I think Bournemouth need, need a little bit of credit for that because they did and it wasn't until until Trent Alexander-Arnold went I'm going to get some short on my boots here mm-hmm and really sort of stayed more to the right-hand side, that Liverpool really got a grip on that game. And that's something that Liverpool have done. When they're at the best, they do well. You solve the problems on the pitch. And Liverpool, to their credit, did solve the problem because they went, I see what they're doing. I know how to fix this. Go go wide. Robbo has a fucking brilliant game on the left-hand mm. side. Trent has a good game on the right-hand side. Sobersly comes into loads of space in the middle of the park. So Liverpool worked their own problems out before the manager got to them at half-time. And they deserve credit for that. Yeah, that's it. And again, I think a lot of it was the psychological thing from us as fans of like, oh, here we go again. We're hoping everything's going to be fixed and, and sorted. And you know, there's a, there's a real fear in the back of our minds. It was why actually watching the full weekend's footy, you know, ending my weekend's footy, watching Chelsea, so you just get absolutely pummeled in the end by, by West Ham was great because you know it's like everyone's desperate to analyse the season in one in one game of footy whereas you're right Liverpool showed something Diaz grabbed the game you know it's an absolute moment of magic for mm. him that you and that's why you've got him you bought him you bought we've got the lads you can get us out of this trouble so I totally agree with that is that the best Liverpool teams figure out the problems and solve them in in play. They don't need to get to half time. And I went in at half time with a general sense of we've not been very good here, but we're winning two one. That's quite funny, you know. I've seen better Liverpool teams go in at nil nil in those games, and you know, when they, they take forty five minutes to work out their opponents. And I know we got a, a penalty in that, of course, but we had lo- we were having loads of corners. We were building into good positions. Van Dijk hit the crossbar. You know, we got in behind a couple of times. It didn't quite work out. We scored a brilliant goal with Diaz, and we got the, the pen. It was like. Oh, but when I then looked at the stats at that time, I was like, oh, we, we're, all, we're absolutely all over them. But I was totally on edge. One, because we, we were crap at the start. Secondly, because all the action happened down the far end of the pitch from me. So I couldn't get the comfort of seeing it all unfold right, right in front of me, of course. But yeah, so much of it is a lingering thing left over from last year where I just need Liverpool to be good. And we were chatting around it in the pub before. 
us beating them 9-0 was like the worst thing that could have happened for this game because there's just an expectation then. Like, because you've beaten them 9-0, I'm not saying Liverpool necessarily felt like this or every Liverpool fan in the stadium felt like this, but we were, there would have been a dismissive, a level of dismissiveness around, oh, it's only, it's only Bournemouth, even though obviously they, they did us uh, in the other game last season. So I think it took a load of, a load of credits for Liverpool to be able to drag themselves into it. I um, Anyone else want to talk to Diaz? Because that, that goal is... Absolutely genius outrageous. is the word. Yeah. Genius is the yeah. word, man. I mean, the, the, I don't know how long it is. You, you, I'm sure somebody out there will have measured it from the deflection to the ball in his yeah. in his toe. Quarter of a second mm. to then decide, I'm going to do this. And in the time he's flicked it up to decide, I'm not going across the keeper, I'm going near post. Another quarter of a second. <laughs> and then the skill set to actually do it. I mean, it's brilliant, but I love the build-up play. I mean, I know Jota yeah. gets the little deflection and stuff, but Trent Alexander-Arnold, I mentioned it before, he's got chalk on his boots, cuts it inside. Jota's first touch, brilliant, takes him into the penalty area, takes him to the byline, decides to cut it back, correct decision, definitely. Deflection, whatever, goal, unbelievable. But when you look at it, Mo makes a self-sacrificing run to free Jota up. Mm-hmm. And when you when you stop it and the ball's played to Jota, it's three on three. It's Mo Salah inside the penalty area. It's Jota inside the penalty area and it's Diaz between the sticks. That's what you want from your three forward players. And there's only three Bournemouth defenders. So it's three on three in the penalty mm-hmm. area and back in Liverpool to score there all day, every day. More of that, please. Yeah. It, you talk about it, Chris talks about it. It's a decision from Diaz to finish it that way, Dan. Yeah. And it, there's no like, because there was the Arsenal goal last <laughs> weekend and Martinelli does like a, a spin. Mm-hmm. And the ball like flies off, and you can make a case. You know, is, is is he is he trying to go past the man? Is that just rolled away? You watch it. Diaz sets that flick up for himself. It couldn't be more deliberate. It's so obvious in how he how he moves his body, and that is just it's it's inspiration. You know, it is. It it is absolutely yeah. It is genius, like Chris rightly says, and it's the improvisation of it all and the speed of thought as well. Because like you say, for the minute it takes, for the second it takes that deflection, you have got no time to think. You've got no time to stop. A lot of players would kind of set themselves and maybe even lay it off to somebody else running into the box, but not him. He's got that awareness of what's going on around him. And he's got the skill set to do it as well. Let's be honest. So it looks like someone's a- told him, like Klopp said, like we've been talking about it all summer. Does he get enough goals? He got enough. Well, output? that's the thing. Yeah, and someone's gone. You need more goals, mate. And he's gone. Okay, Sean. But that's in two weeks now. Obviously, he's got two and two. That's two very different stylistic goals, and that's so so massive. Because Sadio Mane scored a whole manner of different types of goals. Yeah. He scored that one with arriving at the back post, relative tapping. But that predatory instinct we've seen that last week at Chelsea, and now he's produced that bit of magic as well. Having him doing them types of things in in front of the goals is absolutely massive because we know he's got all the trickery, we know he's got the speed, all that type of stuff, but he did need to add goals to his games. That was a legitimate conversation. People did have legitimate doubts about it. He's two and two and sort of in the way they've come about, they couldn't be more different and that's massive. Another thing on that is he's got the number seven. You can't imagine how big of a thing that is for Liverpool. You know, Kenny Zaglish, Luis Suarez, one of the greatest, in fact, the greatest footballer I've ever seen play at Anfield. And Luis Diaz has now got that number seven. And maybe that's gave him a lift. Maybe it has. He's no longer number 23. I'm number seven for Liverpool. Um, He's got the skill. He's clearly got the the instinct at the back post. So 
maybe the the number change as well has, has gave him a, a new lease of life. Who knows? But let's hope that is the case because he's looked sharp and on it. And also his desire, the fact that he missed out last season. That's in pre-season, yeah. he was scoring goals and screaming. Yeah. And like anyone else would be like, lads, it's just, it's just pre-season. <laughs> yeah. But he's not it's played football. It's dance that makes, yeah. yeah. But he's not played football in how long. He came in the last maybe three, four games, got, you know, 20 minutes here and there. So... He's so happy to be back and his desire is there and that's what I love about he, it. He's come in, hasn't he? When, he? when he first came to the football club, we know where we were going for four trophies at the time. He's a big reason for us getting to those finals and, and he gave the entire squad a lift and that first six months was perfect. As mm. far as a, a new signing comes in, it was brilliant. Didn't quite get enough goals. You kind of expect that from a new signing coming in. Last year, let's just write it off, he was a one and four player for the few games that he managed to get. This year is his second season, building on the back of that first one. That's what he's going in mentality-wise, is he's coming in going, I've got to build on that first six months, and this is what he's got to do. He's got to score those goals. He's got to assist. He knows that Nunes is there. He knows that Jota is there that yeah. can play on those left-hand side. He knows that Gakpo's there, yeah. and he knows he's got to get the goals and assists. And, 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 and quite honestly, he looks like he's in the frame of mind where he's able to do that. Not only that, but when he came in, he'd had more minutes than anybody. He played more minutes than anybody that yeah. season as well. We knew there was a hangover over there, we're seeing a fresh, recuperated, confident Louis Diaz heading into this season who's on for 46 goals. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, another player... 44 games left. Yeah. I did the maths. Flying. Minimum. Flying. Um, I want to talk, Claude, about Virgil van Dijk. Um, I love him when he's in that kind of mood, when cool. he plays footy. He just, you know, it's a bit like the... Just so pissed off that he's forced to engage, but not in a really grudging way. Sometimes when he then takes it out on everyone else, he's actually getting angry with the opponents for testing him because. And he, but the thing is, he's passing all the tests. I love it when he pours the afterburners on. He needs to almost rebuild his his aura this this summer. He needs to remind them that he's not a faded power. That he is the best in the business and get performances like that. He was just he was front foot, and that's not what we've become accustomed to. He's having to rebuild that, and I think again that performance. I love it. I love Angry Virgil. Yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. And I think a couple of weeks ago I was sat here saying he's not my kind of captain, but performances in like that, and you will you know make yourself. It, it was the fact that he was screaming at everyone as well uh, when we scored. He was screaming. Um, he was front foot, like you said. Every ball that went up to their striker, he was just nicking in front of them and saying, nah, nice one, I'll have that. I'll just re regain possession and pass it off here and let us go. He was commanding with his back line, you know, after the first 10. You could hear him screaming at Canate and Trent to move up the pitch, stay alongside him. Um, he reads the game so well. Any one-on-ones he was dealing with, he was winning header after header after header. Every ball that came up. And, uh, you know, I think for the... Last year or so, I've turned around and said Canate is better than Van Dijk. Uh, yes, the, the other day, Virgil van Dijk could have been man of the match if a certain Sobosla mm. wasn't on the pitch. Yeah. He was that good. Um, and, you know, Bournemouth aren't an easy team to play. He had to deal with Dom Solanke, who is has got the stature to hold off players. He does. Uh, he holds the ball up while he brings players and he, he drags them up the pitch. And Virgil just absolutely put the fires out all over the place. Uh, absolutely loved it from him. He almost gets the goal with, with the, obviously, one from a corner. But yeah, that is the Virgil that I know and love. That is the Virgil when he's at his best. To see, I haven't seen glimmers of it in ages. And 
and that right there, I thought to myself, you know how everyone's writing off Virgil van Dijk? If he puts a season in like that, he's just the best defender in the league again. I, I've had 10 years or more of Steven Gerrard being the captain. I've missed the withering glance from my captain <laughs> to let the rest of the team know he doesn't, he doesn't approve. Virgil's got a little bit of that as well as yeah. the mouth. It's one of them where we'll have to see how Trent responds to the vice captaincy. Um, but Virgil, it looks like it's it's made him fight a bit more. It's like saying, you know, you are, everyone's looking to you. Everyone looks to you anyway, but beyond, people would normally look to you and Milner or and Henderson, guys who want to go and demonstrate just how much you want to go and be the ones to win the fights. Mm. Go and win the fights. I think he, I think he's flourishing so we, far. We were saying on the final word show before, and I think for, for me the big thing is, I think you touched on this actually, so I'll expand it, because I, I think this is what you were sort of talking about, is Virgil van Dijk, for me, when he's at his probably worst, and his worst is, is still very good, by the way, um, but for context, he's rea- he, he just backs off, and yeah. I, I think we all know that, but it, got, it, it, it became too much. He was doing it. To, you need to be proactive at the time. You can suck them in yeah. and make them think. Because everyone was thought, he's just going to back off. He's just going to back off. He's just going to make me make a decision. And that's what players were doing on him. Now he's going, I back off, I back off. And they get comfortable. And then he goes yeah. and takes the ball. That's what he's needed to do. He's needed to be proactive and just mix it up a little bit and make it difficult for them. The problem was, like Paul alludes to as well, is he, he has that. He had that over. And that over was attackers were scared of him because he had that record. No one ever dribbled past him. And defenders would almost see what he he was doing they were waiting for him to make a move and they weren't doing anything themselves they were kind of freezing getting to him and going oh my god that's Virgil van Dijk but he lost that last season so attackers were just taking him on and they were taking shots and they were scoring goals because I think it was Jaden Sancho in the United game van Dijk was stood there and that was what everyone pointed to he said what's he doing because he wasn't reacting he was just standing waiting for you to make a move and attackers were going alright then I'll just score yeah. but he's getting back to the van Dijk that again we know and love that deals with things he's not just being passive and waiting he's actually getting out there and going yeah he's being affronted by the fact that people have the audacity to come near him and that's great that's it you know you write that back and off thing it's a bit like it's an old comic book style thing where it's a Batman or a character called Midnight who would say in a battle I've basically worked this out a million different ways Mm. of how this fight can go before it's even started you've lost before you've even thrown a punch and that's how Virgil van Dijk has defended for the last two that he's defended on aura Mm. a lot of the time because as you said I mean Lautaro Martinez I don't think at any point he got within five (laughs) yards of van Dijk across two two legs of Champions League football because he was like, he's going to tackle me. So he tackled himself. He mm-hmm. ran, he ran, he ran, he bent his run away from him yeah. rather than go and, go and face it. Well, Jimenez had a 1v1 and just shot from about 30 yards out at Anfield because mm-hmm. he just couldn't even be asked. He yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, thank you. Right, yeah, right. The other thing, I want to give a big shout out to Robertson because I dragged him through the complete mud at Chelsea. I thought he was horrific, worst player on the pitch. He helped Virgil out as well, it goes to show. He was more disciplined, but he still was really good going forward. He was checking his line. He, he was actually in that first off when Liverpool were really struggling he was the one who was like lads give me the ball and I'll get us out then yeah. um, and you know he had a torrid time up against Rhys James Sterling um, Enzo Fernandez against Chelsea but he was really good and that's the best thing about it you can be criticised when you're crap and you get all allorded when you're good and I thought Robertson just, was, was really good as just well just on that though sorry just on that I think that's because he was allowed to play as a left back yeah. yeah, because we weren't getting into the box at all. Trent wasn't going into midfield, probably by choice rather than design, but he wasn't going and joining midfield and therefore Robert wasn't tucking in. Yeah. He was just a left-back. And we know he's probably one of, if not the best left-back in the world still. He still holds that mantle. But when he becomes a left-sided centre-back, that's when problems come. Yeah, yeah and again, you know, there's not many teams we're going to come up against who have that Reese James, no, Raheem Stale and Axis on that side. You know, we talked about it last week. Is Some of that is just 
because that's where Chelsea's best attacking threat is mm. to target that. If any team targets any particular footballer with two players, you've got one to, to run out and you've got one to run around. You're going to find that hard to defend against, not to defend Robertson in general, but he did have a, he had, he had a stinker of a game. Um, but it was a different threat. He was up against uh, against Bournemouth, and I, I, I agree. I thought he had a good game. Um, let's talk through some of the, the key moments of the match. Then um, Shabba's large penalty. Um, I am made up that we've got a footballer who wins penalties for us. By the way, um, I mean there's there's a variety of reasons I will, that I won't say any of the obvious on a podcast, but like. Maybe the referee just like the look of him and doesn't like and haven't liked the look of a number of our players over the years. I don't know, but he won the one of the softest penalties I've ever seen. Really good. Yeah, wow. one of the softest pens I've ever seen. Love it, adore it. More of that. Um, yeah, if he if he's got that in his locker, great. It's mad. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, it's, Harry Kane would be would yeah. be incredibly proud of how oh, he's yeah. won that pen. Made up for it. Um, VAR had a shocker, didn't it? Yes, you've never overturning that. He's got that swan dive absolutely perfected. <laughs> and even the sprawl of the arms as he hits the deck, he's got that down. And you're right, if he wins pens like that, more more, more power to it, that sound. That's a penalty in real time. Yeah. It is yeah. a penalty in real time. In real time, time yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And listen, he makes a beeline for the corner of the penalty area and it's the footwork before yeah. he cuts yeah, it back. Thing, yeah. He faints inside, draws the tackle and knows he's going outside. Best case, he gets a penalty. Worst case, he skins the man and he's in the penalty area. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just so clever, isn't it? But it's that little feint and then it's the cutback. Anyone else on the field, we're not talking about that as a foul. Yeah. It is a free kick and we move on with the rest of the day, which is how penalties should be given in, in, in the area anyway. So it's all day a penalty. Um, he does make the most of it, but he gets it. So what? Um, I think he should be on it as well, to be honest. I, I think. Yeah, to have this conversation. Do we think Mo Salah should still be no. on penalties for Liverpool? Chloe no. blocks him. No, I know you want to be top goal scorer, but it's not about individual awards at this moment in time. He's not. And I don't like left footers on penalties already. I've I've dealt with it Pred, for years. Take your prejudice. So take sorry. Them off this I just podcast. don't like it as a right footed person. Um, and, you know, he, he missed the one against Bournemouth. He missed the one before that. Oh. He's, he's missed. The, this one he luckily gets the rebound and actually where I was stood on the cop I thought he'd missed it for a slight second I'd nearly <laughs> same, had an heart attack um, yeah put McAllister or Sobersly on it and, and, and see how good they do please I mean I know the right is is, is synonymous with prejudices Chloe but I didn't really think it was a literal <laughs> what hand people most prefer to I use as well like, like I feel very uncomfortable all of a sudden like I, I'm not welcoming me on studio do, do people like left footers on penalties I think that's I don't. a common common belief that I, I don't like left footers on penalties I don't like the run up either it's like, it's it's the goal is symmetrical. The goal is symmetrical. It's exactly the same whether a left footer no. takes no, them or a right don't footer. Like it, at all. it is. Just Name the best penalty no. takers ever. Not no left footers. Robbie Fowler was a great penalty taker. He was so good he could choose to miss. Messi's pretty good. Yeah, but he's, he's... But Messi's the best to ever. Messi, the, okay, so surely then the left footers are just better than right no, footers. No, I wouldn't say Messi's the best penalty taker. I mean, Messi's I the best footballer of all time, he's and he's left footed. Yeah. Diego Maradona left footed. Yeah. Is anyone in the comments here agreeing or disagreeing? I, I, I don't know, I've been holding on to some. Let me just read I, the super uh, chats out before I lose oh, them. Um, oh, I've lost them brilliantly. <laughs> 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 it's absolutely Sobber's life for pens, by the way. He uh, gets the same call every time and nails it in every time. It's him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that personally. Um, Would you keep Salah? I think 
Errol made a great point on the instant match reaction. I think it was Errol on the instant match reaction about maybe someone coming in and hopefully getting one on the in the League Cup or the Europa League. I think it's a different ball game, right? If you take Salah off for someone who's never taken a pen for Liverpool mentally for what yeah. Salah can do, as opposed to some lad comes in and gets two penalties and scores them both, and then there's a conversation to be had about it. I think there's a lot to be gained from giving Salah goals and the confidence that he gets yeah. and moves forward into week in, week out in the open play. He's a better it. footballer when and, he's got a goal. Exactly. Yeah. So I think you you can gain a hell of a lot from it. Mm. Like, listen, I'll be honest, I agree. I don't think he's a very good penalty no, taker. No, I, I, don't, I don't. He doesn't hit the corners. Uh, when he hits the corners, he tries to he knock does have a consistent Technique. He's got in his own head because of Ben Foster and Ben Foster putting it out there, wasn't it, on that podcast where he's like, he came up to me and was like, out of interest, which way would you have gone and all this type of stuff. So goalkeepers know that he's thinking about these types of things. He's in his own head. Goalkeepers are in his head. He needs to just go back to slotting the ball away and moving on with it. But yeah. ultimately, you know, I, I think it's in Liverpool's best interest, certainly at this stage of the season, to keep Salah getting goals. Yeah, AC asked in the Super Chat, can we talk about Salah with penalties? I have little confidence now. It's getting worrying now. Maybe we can switch him out for Sobo or McAllister. I mean, again... I'd, the best penalty takers are grand that. I'm not arguing that. Like, I'm no. really not. Yeah, what do you reckon, Sam? For me, I, I would be swapping him. I've never been a huge fan <laughs> of Salah on penalties. I think he doesn't have that consistency of ball striking, quite frankly. He just looks to whack it yeah. a lot of the time. The one he scored in the final was just a quick... You know, if you touch this, you're going in with it, essentially, to the goal, which is fine. That's all well and good, but it doesn't fill me with confidence let's put it that way obviously Blaze won over last year against Bournemouth he misses the one against Arsenal sends that wide I think I'm right in saying and then the one Saturday it's a bad pen that's just a poor penalty yeah. like I've seen people trying to put it's too close to the keeper it's so so savable for the keeper so yeah I'm not a huge fan of it I get the point about sort of filling in with confidence but for me if it was just a question of who's your best penalty taker they should it's be on pens him. it's not Mohamed Salah yeah. it's, it's Sobber's lie right now and if that's he, as simple as that if, if in a penalty shootout he steps up first I, I am a little bit asking why but I'm saying with putting him in the list because he's an attacker and he's got the confidence and it's most salary to back himself but I wouldn't put him first in my penalty shootout and that first person in the penalty shootout should be the first person for me who takes pens on your football pitch. Um, and also, like, once again, if a penalty is what decides the game and you've not got your best penalty taken on it, mm. I'm asking you questions then. Well, 81% conversion rate's pretty damn good when you've taken 30-odd penalties. Yeah. Well, I always felt stupid. It's the same with Steven Gerrard, yeah. pretty much, isn't it? You know, we, we looked at it before and, like, Jan Mulby's is better. The problem I think you've got sometimes is scoring five out of five is great. But it's only five, and there's not data out there on goalkeepers with thirty odd penalties and where you've mm. gone and all that type of stuff. Mm. So it actually weirdly becomes much harder the more penalties you take a, a, a football team because goalkeepers have just got more yeah. information about you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stuart Armstrong saying there from facts, Sobo was taking fifteen pens, only missed one. You know, it's I, 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 I agree with the, the at least it's a known entity. You know, not just the Salas as a pretty good conversion rate, but as I say, it's all the things that you get the benefits of him. The 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 relaxation he seems to feel in his game once he's off once he's off and running it's just that point of I don't think he, I think now that Erling Haaland exists I don't think I don't think anyone else can win the golden boot yeah. so it's one of them where just, give, just let someone else who's going to be more likely to win a game of footy for us take it but it's is that there's no guarantee that McAllister and Sobers like are that because you're right it's a different it's different taking a penalty for Liverpool than it is taking a penalty for whatever level and levels you've been at, which might sound ludicrous. I'm sure someone will point to like a, a big Argentina one for McAllister or something that I've totally over, over, overlooked here or, you know, as captain of Hungary or whatever. But 
you're taking the pens off Mo Salah. You're not just playing against the goalie and the crowd and everything. You've taken you've taken the pens off Mo Salah, who's going to be sat there going, go on then, dickhead. Go on, stick that away. You're taking my pens, have you? Go on then, go on. If, ah, it's, it's, if it's it was in the 89th minute, you were drawing 1-1 and it, we, we won a penalty, who would you want on it? Salah still. Yeah, this I think I would point. because the, if it's a game-winning opportunity, if this is literally the difference between winning a game and losing a game, I want my best penalty yeah. taken on. The best, the best thing that can happen is Salah gets a rest, goes off on the seventieth minute. I don't think Chloe's asking me a question. No, though. sorry, I'll. I'll, I'll get <laughs> the best. I think I fell for that. I think it might have been rhetorical. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> the best, uh, the best thing for Liverpool is Salah goes off in the seventieth minute. We win a penalty, and it's between McAllister or Sobbersly take it and we see what what they're like and then you've got the first one under the belt but back to my question if it isn't the last minute of the game who would you want stepping up I, I still I'd, look, listen if you pure penalty takers I, I, I understand that I really do I think you can do more harm than good for taking Salah off penalties so it's not actually about who's the best penalty taker it's more about what it has an impact on there after for you in that case. Listen, because James Milne was always in this conversation, wasn't he, when he was at the club? But he, he got faded out, and that's what happens, though, doesn't it? You don't take penalties off Gerard. You don't take penalties off Salah. Invariably, he ends up not in the team, and someone else starts taking. Them and that's a conversation that's easier to to do. You know what I mean? But if he misses like, another listen, one, yeah, yeah, then yeah, you'd have course. to have that conversation. Say, make your shit at these, and you keep, and you can, you're going to keep missing them because that was that was a bit. It was too close for comfort for me that because it was it was a terrible penalty and he's had a few bad ones now and I would be leaning towards moving someone else on them. He's probably in last chance saloon with it because you're right. If you know it wasn't a pivotal, it was quite important moment of the game. Obviously puts us puts us in charge. You know doesn't it for the first time. But I think the, the lads are too new at the football club right now for it. Their time will come. You know what I mean? They've got hopefully got three, four, five, six years at the footy Just club. There's, there's no need to make it a narrative around Salah not being good enough for something at this stage of the season yeah. when he when he has just scored. And not while the um, Saudi Arabian transfer market is open beyond ours. <laughs> um, so wait until after that. Wait until that. Wait until their transfer window shuts and then take Salah off all the things you want to take him off. <laughs> um, we had some good comments uh, in and around this. I'm just going to quickly track them down. Um, we... Um, yeah, I, I, let anyone know. Let us know in the comment section underneath who would you have as Liverpool's uh, penalty taker. What about if we just let them take a couple, right? Yeah, and then once everyone's forgot that Salah actually takes our penalties, we lob him back on them so that they haven't done as much work on Mo Salah's penalties, and then you're up against goalkeepers that have been expecting a McAllister or expecting a Slobber Slide. I know you're changing and interchanging, but if you just say to Salah, "Hey, lad." The next five, and um, we don't get a lot of penalties, so it'll probably be the next one. Uh, you're not on this, but it's more just to put in the keeper's mind. They've got three people here who can step mm. up for a penalty. What what one are they going for? Yeah. Just to get in the keeper's mind Problem a bit is, more. You missed a target with two of the three he's missed. Yeah. So the keeper's, yeah. doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, yeah. do you want. Yeah. Um, we had a couple, it was just early doors. Uh, one of them pertains to what we'll be talking in a bit, but sounds said, we already have two DMs by trade and end on Bacetic. I would argue that right back and centre back is more of a priority between now and the end of the window. We'll discuss that in part two. Uh, AP06 says, great off football, back and running. Wondering, will we see the return of Thursday night pint this season? And probably not. We were having a chat around it before. More to be explained on that in the future. Um, 
Chris, well, I love some of these comments. Baked, FSG out, not signing another six. Disaster, disaster. And Keith Charles wants to know if we'd be happy with us finishing third this year. Um, uh, why do people do this? Is it what, like... I was just trying to have a lovely Monday, lads. I know, lads. I know, honestly. No. Content, you know, no. No, let's just say no. Right here, right now, I would not be happy with us finishing third. But context is king. I have predicted that, though, so... Yeah. Hmm. I think I predicted a second. I was second. I, I wasn't happy about that either, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on then. Uh, the second half, absolutely electric when we started because we nearly, we nearly pressed them into into a goal <laughs> with, straight from the kickoff. It was just brilliant. It was a wonderful little stretch of play where we run it all the way back to their goal line. It was a uh, yeah, it was great from the end. Yeah, we were we were on it, weren't we? From the from the start of the second half, and it if it was great because I was in the cop. Like and, you know, there's nothing better is than your team attacking your end in a football stadium and, and that being the best end in football in the cop and stuff. So yeah, it was glorious. The atmosphere really cranked up. I don't know where you you're close to me, aren't you? But it was really loud at points during that game, like more so than just oh, it's the first game back. There was a real belief, I think, when 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 we managed to get back into the game that Liverpool were going to go on and do stuff uh, this season, not just in, in in the game, but like the football was really good. We controlled the game. We were, I think, I remember looking at the time of maybe like the sending off. So we had about twenty odd shots, yeah. like and Bournemouth had maybe three or four, maybe something like that. So we really controlled the game. We really took advantage uh, of everything that Bournemouth were offering us, and most importantly. Our attacking players were linking up really, really well. Yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Um, the big incident of the game, really, Chloe, is the, the red cards. Um, I, my initial reaction to it was, I it, it was never a red card. That was my first take on it because the re- because of the referees, it kind of impinges McAllister, which I was so shocked by it. It actually, I actually thought, is the referee going to give us some sort of decision here because. He runs towards McAllister and doesn't slow down. So McAllister, right at the last second, bends his run around. And then all of a sudden, he's reaching back to try and get control of the football. I can, you know, there are angles when I think it looks worse and other angles where it doesn't look quite so bad. For me, it's although his studs are showing, it's not a, it's not a proper studs up thing. He's trying to play the ball with his instep. The whole thing for me, I I just think it's so incredibly stupid to just show the red card straight off the bat when you can wait 30 seconds and get it corroborated. The second he gives the red card there, then it's going to take something massive in the VAR for that ever to be overturned. So I just think it was ridiculously bad officiating. Um, but what was your what was your take? My take was, I remember the foul being given and I was like, no, never. And I was like, oh my God, he's giving him a yellow. And then I was like, wait, he's giving to his left pocket. Why is he giving to his left pocket? And all of a sudden, this red card was shown. Anfield was completely and utterly stunned. Everyone probably thought, yeah, okay, it, it's a foul. Like, we were all fuming at the fact that we'd gave a foul when we were literally, we were just outside the box. We'd pinned them in and we'd given away a foul. And everyone thought it was a 50-50. It is. Both players' legs are up in the air in fact if McAllister is just a little bit lower that that lad's doing the exact same of what McAllister did to McAllister Um, 50-50 inside of his foot it's not high enough there's no intent it's not malicious there's no force in it it's like he kind of pulls out of it when he realises I I was stunned at the time that it had been given a red and I was literally stood there trying to like I was like did anyone think it was like a massive foul? Like if a yellow would have been shown, I would have thought, okay, maybe it's because, you know, they could have been on the break or something. Totally get that. But a red, it just seemed like no one else inside that stadium could have ever predicted that that was going to be a red card. McAllister did not expect it from yeah. his facial expression. Um, that If you're giving away reds for that, there should be a red in pretty much every single game. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, Harry Kane on Robertson, literally worse challenge than that. Intent force, stud showing on the shin of Andy Robertson gets away well, the with code, the yellow. The Cody Gapo title means one has been brought up constantly yellow. all weekend long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, yeah. Yeah, not for me. Uh, never has been for me. I must admit, sort of on first first watching, there's a moment whereby I think he's going to do him here. He's going to do him bad here because McAllister looks like he is going in studs up. He is going in high. And more importantly, he's second to the ball. And therefore, for a split second, you think, oh, no. And then all of a sudden, it's almost like McAllister himself realises and pulls out massively, turns his foot. So you're right, it is the side of the he's, foot. He's like trying to flick the ball exactly. around. By, by the end of it, the contact is lower than it was 
originally. Looks like it was going to be. It's on the calf instead of the, instead of the shin. And but it's, it's not also slugs. inside of the foot. Well, exactly. But he's turned his foot by the end. But like I say, for one split second, I thought, oh, no. But then, like I say, by the time the contact's made, he completely backed out with the challenge, basically. It's like McAllister realises, oh, I'm second here. I'm not winning the ball. And he took all force out of it. So to give a red is absolutely ludicrous. I've seen lots of different takes and I had lots of different conversations in here about it on Saturday. Never for me, never has been. And the referees backing each other up. I mean, they went to VR. Oh, Paul Tierney was sat there. That was it. And I would shadow a guess that he didn't even watch it. He literally just said, Yeah, that's sound, mate. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Don't worry about that. Crack on. Um, and then Mike Dean in the in the Sky Studio saying it was definitely red. They're just backing each other up by this point. What's the point in him or the fellow who used to do um, BTU? Was that? Who was the referee there? Damn Walton. Um, oh, no, Peter Walton, Walton wasn't he? What's the point in them? Whatever never... he says, just reveal. But then so... even Bournemouth's manager, if Iola comes out yep. afterwards and didn't look like a red. Yeah, so he, card, he said, oh, Which is fair. That's a fair assumption because, like I say, end of the day, McAllister, it's a foul all day long. It's the yellow all day long, and he is second to the ball. It is too high. It's got bad things for it, but it does not tick the most important boxes. That's why it can't be a red. Yeah, I think for, for me, I think I can understand why the referee's given it. I think when he's watching it, he sees the foot land on on the leg, and he turns to watch the ball, and he doesn't watch the follow through, and, and then sees I, this guy come rolling and, past him, and then sees a guy on the floor roll mm. three times over. So yeah. absolutely, I get it. From yeah. Where I was in the ground, exactly the same as Chloe. It's never a fucking red card. No. It's it's not. No one thinks. It, there's even an inkling. There's always someone who goes, "Oh no, God, he's offside!" Yeah. Or, "Oh no, God, he's going to get a red card." There was nothing. There was no. no there was no misery asses panicking about us going to get a red card no. for that because no one thought it was. But now, you know, I haven't seen it so many times and slowed down. I think we're refereeing on still images here, and you can't referee on still yeah. images. And that's the problem, isn't it? With all these things, is that it's like Sobers lies looks like more of a pen. Like, you know, on still images, anyone where you freeze it on contact between two exactly. footballers exactly is going to look absolutely brutal. If you show me McAllister's foot on the fella's leg there, it doesn't matter what 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 angle, whether he's pulling back, all I'm seeing is foot on leg. Mm. And I'm giving, you know, I'm giving that out a card accordingly. We've got to stop all this. You know, we don't want people, we don't want them re-reffing. And Steve made this point actually earlier today, is that you've got to get the decision on the field because they don't want to re-ref it on VAR now. Yes. So you need to you need to make sure and it's why Shabasly makes sure that he is it's obvious and it's why that like goes down in the way that he goes down yeah. because they want to stick with the referee's decision. The problem with that is the reason that VAR and everything was brought in is because the referees aren't very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so keeping the decisions on yeah. the, the on the field with the referee who yeah. shit who only gets to see it once is not actually a very clever thing to do. Well, the the other thing is I've not heard a single person who's played football or who is literally on TV. TV pundit speaking about football who's came out and said yeah that's a that's 100 a red yeah. every single person has said it is a shocking decision and it, we always go back to that if you've never played football before how these refs have never played football before they don't know at the angles at which you go in and the force and things and is it Damon O'Gallagher whatever just he Gallagher. turned around and said is it just Gallagher just turned around it's what, he, and said, what he says on, on Paddy's day and <laughs> he just turned around and said no it's never a fight which is never, really surprising by the way yeah. Never does that, but yeah. yeah. He just said it's never a red card. Every pundit, Alan Shearer, they've all came out and said, No, it's it's never a red. Even Mike Dean apparently came back out and said, Oh, actually, no, it's not a red. Mm. It will not be turned over because they'll manoeuvre it in a sense yeah. where they'll put well, two games in and we're here we are again. Mm. Question oh, no, of just and... wipe someone out last week. Yeah. Pickford does the same, gets a red card this yeah. week, yeah, gets we... a penalty even against them this week. Yeah, but we've seen we've seen it again. The inconsistency, 
No, no, no. no, 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 no that goes back to my point on this: is that they're incompetence yeah, and, yeah. and they're incompetence, and they get slaughtered for it. And rather than get better or or, or or try to gain sympathy, so they've changed these rulings so that refs try and get a bit more respect. You've got to be a bit more respectful to referees, which I think is a really good idea. By the way, I think yeah. you need to change the culture and how we how we talk to referees and how referees are treated. But it all goes back to these are like the. These are put upon, they're maligned, they're a little core, a little group who, who close file, rank and file around each other at all times to protect each other. They're a little union, they protect they protect their own interests. So like when people say, well, let's hear what the VAR are saying, they'll never they won't do it because they're scared of the added scrutiny. It's like we already get absolutely so it's like they get bullied, not gonna put themselves in a situation to get more bullied. But again, it becomes this this sort of negative spiral where they continue to be more incompetent. The, the pressure continues to mount on them and they continue to back themselves and, and, and shield it off from the rest of the world. For me, just open it all out. I think people will be more sympathetic. If you could hear what the decisions they're making, they're only human. They get it wrong. And the point is, on that one, the referee... I can only assume he clearly thought that was a red card because you don't pull the red card out unless you think it was a red card decision. There's no agenda there. He's not decided he's going to fucking do Liverpool here by pulling the red card out. He's just seen that as a red card and given it as a red card, but it's not It's not worthy of a red card. So what should happen is someone should be able to go, ah, mate, right, we've seen this one. I think in the heat of the moment, you've just seen this one wrong sound, but they won't. Because as I say they're just trying to protect him. That's, from I, 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 that's exactly what they don't need to do. What they need, is, uh, you're right in terms of everything you've said, apart from the way that the VAR reacts to the referee. The VAR should say to the referee, "How did you see that?" And the referee should say, "I saw that McAllister went in high and followed through." And then the VAR goes, "I think you need to look at the monitor." And mm. that's all the conversation that they need to have. What did you see? We think it's slightly different. Yeah. End of. Just no one wants to be embarrassed. It's a very awkward situation. I mean, imagine that. you already got all the pressure and all the eyes on you. You've got two sets of fans, 50,000 people in the ground. Well, not quite. You know, it's another story for another day. <laughs> but the um, you've already got all that pressure. And now all of a sudden, you've got to walk 35, 40 yards and go and stand in front of a telly while someone's talking to you, while everyone's baying for your blood around you and then make another decision based on all this. It's no surprise they don't want to go to the screens because they don't want, no one wants that the extra pressure of being being seen to be a bell end or whatever. I don't know. I reckon I, I, if he would have went over, he'd still, still gave it, by the way. Maybe. I genuinely, we'll I, think he'd, I think he must have thought it was that much of a stonewall penalty that I reckon if he went over there, they'd find a way to say... They don't, though. Whenever you get sent to the screen, it always goes the other way, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. There's yeah. been maybe one where he's actually yeah, stuck exactly, to his decision, yeah. but I just... Oh, um, shocking. Moving things on to more positive things before we take a break. Um, we touched upon it, but Sobber's like... Um, I was a little unsure, Chris, when we signed him, whether he was really quite ready straight away I thought he might be one that takes a couple of months to really bed in and we'll never know now because of the the DM situation whether that's the case or not Uh, but this was the game where I was like it made sense to me I understand what he is now he is we'll see him at the other end of the pitch but I like his work rate all the areas of the pitch he was getting into are the ones where Jordan Henderson was trying to do that last season but being Jordan Henderson, the central midfielder, at best box-to-box midfielder, at worst defensive midfielder, 
being asked to do a job rather than being a natural fit for it. That run in the second on half. The right-hand side when he mm. beats past two men and <laughs> cuts to the byline. Yes. Unbelievable stuff, right? Um, he took the game by the scruff of the neck and I didn't know he was going to be that type of a midfielder, to be honest with you. I think from from him and McAllister coming in, I, I've got to be careful how aware did this because I tried to say this on the final way before. I wasn't disappointed, but it was nothing that I could hang my hat on from pre-season. Today's game, or sorry, Saturday's game is a hang your hat on moment. It's, you know, it's watershed isn't it it's he's got absolutely everything he looks like the almost perfect you, you turn up to a job and you've got the fucking swiss army knife right what am i getting out here all right you need me to go pacey down the wing sound you need me to link it up nicely in the middle of the box technical ability great you want me to cover it right back for brent alexander arnold i'm there mate i've got absolutely everything i'm big i'm strong i'm sexy i float across the football <laughs> yeah, field yeah. i can do absolutely anything that i want i've got end product and, and i'll play the six for you if you need to but I'm playing the eight at the same time because I've got the legs to be able to do it. It was an absolute monster of a performance. I uh, was listening to Klopp's pre-match press conference, Dan, and I and it was some point I'd made about Thomas. Like, was my real takeaway positive from the Chelsea game was I thought he looked a little out of sorts with what he was being asked to do with mm-hmm. the press, but where everyone else's legs fell off he was still pressing the 95th minute and actually Klopp made a big point he said he was almost surprised by how good his, his engine was that's a really encouraging if you're going to be a Klopp midfielder having that for me is like the the, the entry requirements yeah. and what we're starting to see now is the little bits on top at some point he's actually going to get a little bit more comfortable and he's going to start shooting as well mm-hmm. and I think when you know if he can add if he had oh, we get the third goal from him shooting yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know he's good but he's going to add goals I think to all that stuff we've seen on top we've got a it looks like we've got a very special footballer oh absolutely and I always love when a footballer takes offence to the situation and it, it was like he did that it's like he's seen his mate McAllister also making his Anfield debut get sent off and just was like affronted by it well that's not right and yeah. put it right I'm going to make sure we don't lose this game of football because last half an hour he was like a man possessed he was unbelievable his engine was incredible and just the desire to just get on the ball and make things happen he was absolutely everywhere and Chris sort of lose it was a statement performance from him and in his second game in Liverpool sure competitive wise anyway at Anfield on his debut it was like he relished the moment and he's like he looked at that situation and seen a little bit up against it as much as like we were down to 10 men and went oh this isn't happening not on my watch and I love lads that do that I, I Louis Diaz did it last year for yeah. instance against yeah. Palace when we went down to 10 with Darwin Nunes and he went oh no this isn't happening I'm playing and this was Sobber's like in a nutshell on the weekend he was phenomenal but it wasn't just legs and it wasn't just work rate it wasn't just desire it was quality as well you've all referenced the run down the line but absolutely everything he did he was fine for like the first hour but that last half an hour was just superhuman it was fun I just loved it and like I say lads like him who take it to heart when something goes against you. I love having playing for Liverpool. It's where it's captain hunger, isn't it? You know what I mean? People yeah. possess these kind of things. I could see it in, in, in Endo coming on the pitch. We'll do him in part two, but players who just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes them go up a level. Virgil, mm. again, I'd show, show Adversity, just bring yeah, the best out of him. 100% yeah, yeah. on that. I like the fact that where he was asked, he, he said in his post-match interview, like Klopp said to me, well, you're playing the six now, but you need to sit back. And he kept, he kept screaming at him because yeah. he kept going forward still oh well yeah well never mind but he, he does it in the last minute he you know he passes a ball off makes a run down the line and he's like one on one down the line and he, he takes him for a little bit of a run and then he is yeah no I'm just going to stop on this ball I'm just going to pass it back to me defenders and, and we're just going to keep the ball he was the one from the minute we got sent down to 10 men the, the Bournemouth fans were up for it the Bournemouth fans were like boss we're back in this and Sobosly literally just went 
you know what, lads, I'm just going to keep this ball away from you for the next 10 minutes. Get your crowd to shut up. Get ours to be more confident. And also, it was more that we were all still stunned. I think we were all still shocked at what was going on. Um, he, it was a masterclass from the lad. Um, and like you mentioned there, it wasn't just his work rate, which is ridiculous. I'd be surprised if he didn't ru- run the most KM on that mm. pitch, by the way. He was everywhere. Um, but it was also the skill. It was the fact that like he'd, he'd pass it through the legs like three people go off. I have never seen, and I do not want to put this pressure on, and I will not, and he's not the same player, but I have not seen a ball carrier for Liverpool like Steven Gerrard-esque before, since Steven Gerrard. Like, I, I love Chamber on the ball first couple of mm. years where he really added it's in him. the power when he yes. runs that reminds me of Gerrard as well. The way he's like it. Um, the way he literally, he, he's also, he's, a unit anyone wants the ball absolutely have me off I'm bullying you off this and I'm taking it off yeah he just reminded me of a young Gerard, and he's not Gerard. he won't be Gerard. <laughs> but I was I was made up because I've not seen a footballer quite like I've not seen a footballer like Gerard since Gerard for Liverpool and I, I sat there the other day and thought to myself my God. And he is sexy. Just the fact he said no pressure. And then went on to say, <laughs> look at you and Gemma. No pressure, mate. Sorry about that, yeah. Yeah. But it's just, you know, just use it as confidence and really, yeah, really giving you everything. Absolutely terrific performance. Yeah, very, very much one for the, for the future scrapbook. Uh, right, we're going to take a short break and then we return. We're going to be discussing Liverpool transfers. We're going to talk about Endo, his performance, um, and James Pearce uh, reporting that Liverpool are not in for a specialist number six for the rest of the window uh, that after this hey what's happening our brand new book Bobby Firmino Best in the World is available to order right now there is a normal edition and an author side edition on redmenmerch.com Fill your boots with incredible stories of a cop icon, a season-by-season guide to Bobby Firmino's time on Merseyside with unique and incredible photographs from the archive, stats, unique artwork by brilliant Liverpool artists, features, quotes, and a whole lot more beside. If you are a Bobby Firmino fan or someone in your life is a huge Bobby Firmino fan, it is the perfect gift for you or for them. It is A4 size, premium format and very limited edition. Get yours right now by heading to redmenmerch.com. Yep, yep, yep. Grab your Bobby Firmino, best in the world, books right now. Um, Let's quickly talk uh, with Taro Endo, Chris. Um, Yeah, from out of nowhere. From absolutely out of nowhere, we signed a 30-year-old, uh, 50-capped Japanese captain uh, from Stuttgart. Um, I, I think the immediate reaction was was a bit like a, who? Um, I didn't expect when I saw his name come in that I was then going to Google him to find out he was 30. That was a real, I was really okay. taken aback by that. Uh, we moved at pace and it, one, of the, one of the strangest transfers I think we've made in recent times. Yeah, I think that's fair, isn't it? I think everyone was scrambling around for information about him. You know, not many people had obviously watched Stuttgart play. Uh, not many people were uh, even pretending this time to have heard of him. Um, <laughs> and that says a lot, doesn't it? When, it? when it's just not even worth pretending. Yeah. You've seen some lad play like Fabrizio uh, Romano going, no idea, no idea. I, I'm not sure I even spelt that right. Uh, I'll check again. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a real strange sort of Thursday, Friday, wasn't it? And then... 
Um, obviously, you know you know that he's made it in time for the squad as the squad comes out because mm. I think don't think anyone. Well, I certainly didn't know until until he was on the bench. I was bench. putting feelers out on Saturday morning and got nothing back to say whether he had his clearance or whatever. So yeah, the first we knew was that half an hour or so before the team came yeah, out. And as hour. soon as we went down to 10 men, you were like, he's defo coming on here. He was shipped off. He was warming up. And I think Klopp waited because we had a, a, an offensive free kick. Um, so then, which we scored from. Which we scored from, yeah, exactly. And then he brings him on. And first thing he does, that, to my mind, was win the ball back and set us on a counter-attack. And I'm like... Oh hello, pup- hello puppy. What have we what have we got here? Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, with Tori Endo. And he just bombed forwards like he's got no instructions. I think he had half a training <laughs> session with the lads or something. Like he, he had no box, idea. That was like, where's my defensive yeah, mid? What are you doing, lads? Yeah. Thought you were the six. <laughs> and then he gets beasted um by um one of their players and Sobis like got beasted on the edge of the box. And I thought, here's the limitations because his pace isn't there. Yeah. Mm. And he sort of toddles back in. But then I was watching closer, as everybody will have been, for the rest of the game. And I was like, his positioning's where it's at. Mm. This is He's not the fastest. He's never going to be the fastest. But he was neat and tidy on the football. He won the ball back enough times for me to go good tackler. But where he was taking up his positions, I think, was the most important thing. He was helping to pin Bournemouth in. And then when Bournemouth gained a little bit of control last 10 minutes of the game, when we started to tie a big time four playing Ten men and coming into the season a little bit, uh, not 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 quite ready to play nineties. I thought that's where he, he stepped up. He won his headers um, for a defensive midfielder. Yeah, I'm happy with that for for the first sort of thirty minute performance. Certainly on the back of no training and little sleep by all accounts as well over the last 48 hours beforehand and like you've both alluded to there we weren't sure if he's going to be in the squad I'm not entirely sure he knew he was going to be in the squad until much beforehand so I think he did a good job I think positioning was pretty good kind of took up them areas you'd like him to take up pretty tidy enough on the ball did some good things he's already played more football than half a mellow for us so that's <laughs> a big tip um, yeah I think he was sound I do I wasn't expecting great things of course you're not expecting great things he's literally been dropped into a situation by you know as Liverpool debuts go you've been at the club less than 24 hours your team's just gone down to 10 men yes you're in the lead but go on lad on you go it's a bit of a mad situation for me he probably didn't expect he was playing for Liverpool a few days earlier let alone start being involved in the game at Anfield so you know credit to him for, for doing the job he did really because he didn't look massively out of place he just looked like a fine footballer and it was a fine defensive midfielder performance the best part of it was you could see how deprived of a DM we were when every time he won to tackle the entire stadium <laughs> <laughs> One nil lead in the Champions League final. The way we were celebrating our DM, like. Yeah, it was it was it was a decent performance. I reckon he probably won the ball back more times in the thirty minutes he had than probably McAllister or Sobbsly did. Or Fabinho all of last season. Yeah, or Fabinho all of last season. Uh, a couple of times where he just advanced well up the pitch. You know, I was like, oh my god, is McAllister playing again? Who doesn't know this position? Uh, but yeah, he was sound. Um, the crowd really liked them as well in terms of like the way we got behind them and it was just so good to see people winning tackles it's one of them isn't it and again I've been I've just done a video on my channel today and I, I want to stress this that we shouldn't be overjudging things on, on on limited you know experience of seeing them but it was I did chuckle immensely that he comes on has his half an hour debut under quite trying circumstances and, and performs quite well and then Moises Casado the £150 million so British good. transfer record cannot get near a single West Ham player except to give a penalty away um, 
glorious stuff. Absolutely uh, glorious. Shut on all of that because I just remember the Community Shield from oh, the okay. season. Like you know yeah. what I mean? It's like to oh, borrow you for borrow something from you though is that you don't get to not laugh at a don't don't go to a comedy show and not laugh at a joke just in case he says something you don't find funny later on. Yes, get your enjoy your laughs yeah. while you can because Moise Casado was brilliant. Yeah, and he's gonna have a brilliant career. Probably, um, but in terms of bars of expectation, I quite like that. Is a lad who's come in with zero expectation on his shoulders, and now he's cost us very little comparatively in the market. Casado's come in now as a British transfer record, having been the centre of the biggest transfer saga of the entire window, um, into a really difficult situation where they needed to grab the game and completely failed to. Um, good, good, That's brilliant, yeah. And not to be the bearer of bad news on this, but we were playing a 4 4 1 when he came on, like as well, which makes it a little bit easier for the DM. I think you know, just to be just sort of be real on it for a, for a little bit, like um, Bournemouth had no idea how to play when we were playing a low block. Because Bournemouth have never ever decided to play at Liverpool attacking football when Liverpool are in a low block before, <laughs> so they had absolutely no idea no. what to do and yeah. when to do it. And Liverpool just slotted in, and, and anyone obviously anyone of that level can play a, a four four one or two. Um, so we're sort of ended it all right. Let's not get ahead of ourselves though. It was a good performance from him, and we need to see a lot more from him. Oh, hundred percent. I just think you could give you take the context of the situation where all the things we've discussed there. He's barely even met his teammate. Mm-hmm. We're down to ten men. He's chucked into a game, and I saw enough in there that went okay. Cool, you know, it's 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 a Listen, very. I'm sorry, he's not Kante. He's probably Makaleli. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, the transfer options and what have you then so I mean Dan you, you'd be best placed to kind of talk about this at the forefront of our social game um, that just leading up to the bid for Endo mm-hmm. we saw like a real explosion in transfer rumours Gravenberch came back to the agenda uh, Decore came back up again Amrabat was very strong around that time as well mm-hmm. little mentions again of Joao Palinia and what have you um, and then all of a sudden yeah Liverpool have put a bid in for Endo. It was a, it was a, it felt, it felt like Liverpool just got their act together in the space of about 24 hours or so in the middle to the back end of last week. Yeah, it felt to me, and the, funnily enough, the Amabat story sort of came out before the Endo stuff. That was like an hour beforehand. There was a report from Holland saying that Liverpool were quite far advanced with Amabat, and all of a sudden that was not off the cards, but the Endo stuff had really sped up. And it felt to me a little bit the back end of last week is that Liverpool, we'd had our two, three weeks with the Lavia stuff included of being messed around and sort of skirting around what we're trying to do. And because we'd obviously fell on the wrong side of both of them deals with Caicedo and Lavia, kind of felt like Schmadker, Klopp, whoever's at the forefront of it had gone, right, we just need to get one now. And which one, who's the best that we can just go and get and can be in the building with inside the day? And it was Endo. And as it worked out, that was the right move to make because we knew Stuttgart would be willing to sell for the price we were willing to give them. We knew Endo would absolutely jump at the opportunity, so we went and did it. And I think that's the right call. A lot of people aren't going to like it because... Because we have been linked and we did obviously have that huge bid the week earlier, people just want to spend money for spending money's sake. But ultimately, in terms of answers and in terms of solutions, he might not be the worst one. I think that's probably a good shout. Now, what happens next is obviously the next question. Um, I mean, the end of business is shrewd. I think it's savvy. I think it'll end up being a good bit of a transfer activity, to be honest. But it's fascinating now because obviously you mentioned the James Pearce stuff and I think it kind of ties in I mentioned to you this morning Paul what Mel Reddy was saying a few weeks ago in terms of Liverpool wants a destroyer and a more progressive type mm-hmm. and for me Endo is your destroyer now the Decore links remain 
and the amber bat stuff is kind of waning a little bit. I think it was Endo or amber bat, and we've come with Endo, which is fine because in terms of feed, they were not too dissimilar. But what happens next? You're right. The Gravenberg stuff has been around all summer. That has not gone anywhere. I spoke to somebody last week on Gravenberg in Liverpool. All it is with him is buying. Bayern are the only thing stopping that happening that's a huge part of it of course it's because they're the club that own him but he sat on the bench for the first 180 minutes of their football season he hasn't kicked the ball in anger yet so he's not going to be happy with that of course he's not United have been the fame for that too so he's a fascinating one to me Andrea Fluminense remains on the cards as well in that case but both of them tick that can play a six not always going to be a six and they are more progressive so that does seem to work for us we're in that awkward situation where we're back to a lack of not a lack of understanding exactly what's going on behind closed doors Chris and we're piecing it together based on information that we maybe had a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago and a lot of assumptions like my main assumption because the, 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 the thing that's led out of this is obviously James Pearce saying we're no longer in the market for a specialist six um, for the rest well actually the, the headline just to be perfectly clear and it's not again the right just don't write headlines editors write headlines mm. Endo has been bought to start Liverpool matches they aren't targeting another number six this summer now I could focus on the this summer bit if I wanted to and maybe that might lead to the Andre thing um, what I think it's more prominent to say is that Klopp's been very uh, spoken very highly about him um, he clearly likes him he clearly wants him to start football matches for us but my understanding of Liverpool's situation was we thought Fabinho was staying we, ha- we have Bacetic and we were trying to add Lavia to the mix. If Endo is Fabinho's replacement, we still own Bacetta. He's now back. It it still strikes to me that, that we would be looking for someone else still yet to do this. So that does feel a little at odds with my understanding of what Liverpool are doing. But then you get into conversations around what Dan's saying. Someone who can do a bit of that might be quite a smart move. But what's your general thoughts? Yeah, I, I think where Dan sort of go probably a bit more where Dan is at the moment I think you know Jürgen likes versatility and having someone that maybe you know he thinks that he could train into a long term six or having that ability to get games somewhere else in the midfield is probably going to be a bit of a good idea for him I think the summer thing makes me think of obviously like you've just said there you know Andre um, maybe in January or whatever but I think ultimately as well I have to take another step back and go We've had our pants pulled down in terms of transfer transfer budget for a long time here and everyone's known we need a six and if I wanted to go in for a six that I couldn't afford I'd be saying to everybody we don't need a six no more mm. and those mm. the fucking man yeah. you know what I mean in terms of a negotiations I don't think it's that but I think there's also a little bit of that as well uh, you know what I mean so I think look we've got McAllister who can play there we've seen that now we've got Endo who can play there we've got Bychettich who can play there if you added somebody like a Gravenberg or a Decore into the middle of the park great um, it means that Gakpo becomes one of the forward players again yeah. and I think that's a consideration as well you know McAllister and Soboslaya who we want there um, but again I, I again I'm just thinking out loud here but I wonder if the weekend they've gone well oh, Trent Alexander-Arnold playing right back was really good and Robertson was really good when he was playing a left back and I wonder if we just short the midfield out can we go old school 4-4-3 uh, a 4-3-3 wow. sorry oh, <laughs> uh, can we go 4-3-3 um, and I think we'd have the midfielders to be able to do that if we decided to as well we've got a, a super chat in here just relating to this um, from Keith it says uh, love you lot but if we want to be better than at least one of Arsenal City we need a non 30 year old number 6 what do you think Claire? His age was, when I read it, like you said earlier, you weren't expecting that. That is not a player that Liverpool buy because it's not a player Liverpool buy 10 days ago. 
because it, it, we that's not the type of players we were looking at. You look at your Sobislas, you look at McAllister, both in a boss age range, Lavia, Casado, we were in for, even Amrabat, 27, you know, not the oldest. I think Liverpool have just kind of, you know, when you've got like a, a leak somewhere and you just put a bit of duct tape over it and you're like, right, that can see me for another month or whatever yeah. and then I can get the proper replacement in. I'm hoping it's something like that. Um, I, I love Ducore for Palace. think he's boss. Uh, I, I've always said I think we need two anyway in the midfield um, because we already had we wanted Fabinho and Lavia was going to be your backup and you had Bajetic there well we've already lost Fab and you had Henderson who could play the, the six if needed he's now gone as well um, but what I will say is Gravenberch I absolutely adore as well and I think if there's someone who can mould players and get the best out of them it's Jürgen Klopp would I be sound with him coming in now, knowing that in January we could go for Andre and get him for cheaper? Yeah, because I like the look of him as well. And we could get a boss centre-back mm. or left-footed centre-back. If we're looking at you know spending quite a big chunk of money on, on a centre-back position, in which I would have loved just to do this 12 days ago and get Gavardi all, but you just haven't done that. Um, then I can see it, I can piece it together. There's reason behind it. And also Liverpool have had to react. It's not the player anyone would have wanted or expected at the time, especially not when you've gone from Lavia, Casado out of nowhere to then a lad no one's heard of. I get it. But at the same time, if this means that we can spend bigger in other areas or if it can see us through and we're at a really decent level and then we go and splurge the cash on the person who's right for us and available then I can I can see what Liverpool are trying to do it is which lane they're actually going down because at the moment I haven't got a clue yeah that kind of my general just on that is that I don't really know what they're doing so I refuse to get drawn into being really angry about the whole thing um I can agree that if you've got if you're trying to stack us up man for man I think you know, if Man City have got Kovacic, Rodri and Calvin Phillips as their defensive midfield options and Arsenal have got Party and Rice and ours are our Endo and then a bunch of lads, a Bacetic and then a bunch of lads mm. who can kind of do a bit there, I would suggest that we are not as well equipped as them but then I also think we're so well equipped in other areas of the pitch which you know I think you can't just you can't just view it in isolation and I don't know enough about Endo to know whether he's good enough or not because I think on paper well when Arsenal are spending £105 million on, on Declan Rice and then Liverpool are spending 16 on a th- on a 30 year old and go through all the, all the things lads we've basically never heard of that doesn't stack up but also it is about who plays best for the team. He could be really good. You know, we, we give him a four-year contract, which seems at odds with what we normally do. I, I, I don't think he'll be a. I don't think he'll be a useful. I don't think he'll be playing fifty games a season for us in three years' time. I think that would be the plan. But we have clearly needed. It's. I think it's proven because of losing Henderson. I wonder whether we'd have kept Milner if we'd known now. You know, it's one of those moves where I think Klopp's trying to replace a little bit of that X factor, that leadership, that experience kind of thing in the dressing room as well in this one. But I do think you need other players around. I'm not totally convinced that this guy should be, is is ready to be no. Liverpool's main number six, but that's only is, here now. He's yeah, played half an hour for us. Yeah, I think for me, look, Liverpool have fucked this DM search up. Yeah. Let's not beat around the bush here. You know, we've, we've messed this up and we're trying to make the best of a bad situation. It doesn't look like there's any that Liverpool fancy that are on the market today. 
or or, we, or at the price that at the on. price that they wanted. You know, Amrabat. Yeah, I I would have been really happy with Amrabat to be honest with you for the price, but it wasn't a long term solution either. Endo's not a long term solution. Gavin Birch isn't really the six that you're looking at anyway. The no. Corey's not really the six that you wanted anyway. He's a bit more of a box to box and can can do that mold. So I don't see. No one's said there's a six here for eighty million quid. Would you have him? And if I looked at him, I'd go, maybe, yeah, but it doesn't seem to be that on the market. So at some point, you've just got to change direction and go, well, actually, if I can't sort the six out now, what can I sort out? And I think that's what Chloe's saying is, can you sort the other problems in the squad out? And I'm okay with that, but they have fucked it up to get here. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think this is a bit like, we've talked about the Nat Phillips, um, Reese Williams thing, where we're going to say to the market friends, a bunch of lads who aren't the right option. This lad might not be, his ceiling might not be at the level we're looking for long term, but at least he actually fulfills the brief. You know, we've gone out and got someone who at least does the job that, yeah, look, that look, they want him to, the, that they want the, to do from If there. the floor is better, then I'm okay with that. The ceiling might not be better, but the floor's better. The yeah. general level has come up because we've got someone who can actually play a number six role, and I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah. Also, you know, we talk about him being 30. He's played less minutes in his entire career than Trent Alexander-Arnold has in his career, and Trent right. is 24. That's, sorry, that, that got... That's false. Is that not true? No, yeah, that's, that's not false. true. Oh, yeah, He's a late bloomer, though. He's a late bloomer. That's what Klopp said. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, I, and I, it's been said to me by a few people who know him far better than, than I certainly do, um, that he, he is, like, that is the case. Like, Japanese players, generally speaking, are the Japanese experts on Mystery of the Day, they do get better. Their primes are later in their career than what yeah. we could become used to. So I was looking into a bit of this because I know you'd made that point and then we had, we looked into it a bit deeper and found out it wasn't. Andrew Beasley put the tweet out initially who said it was like 22,000 versus 34,000 minutes or whatever for uh, Endo to it's FB read it wrong. So, yeah. so, uh, they didn't okay, have any so other Japanese. It's not my fault. No, but she was trying to steal my staff. Yeah, they didn't have the Japanese second division. He's played 100 games in the J2 League which hasn't been factored in and there's lots of like Japanese cup competitions and stuff okay, that, he's, that he's played in. But again, it goes back to this thing as he's come up the rank. I don't mind. I honestly, I don't mind it. Where he's been isn't as important about where he is now. And if Liverpool can get a couple of years out of a player and he can do a really good job for us, fine. It, it comes down to it. For me, it's again, what's next is if this facilitates us getting another player in who's brilliant that's going to really kick us on or give us something more then I'm I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that but then I'm not saying I'm, 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 I will be unhappy if Liverpool just win football matches none of this will matter none of this will matter in a month if, we, if we've gone unbeaten and, and everyone stayed fit and we're, and we're all we're all kind of flying because at the moment I was just looking at it Curtis I know he's injured at the minute but he's only played 25 minutes Elliot's only played 29 minutes for us Bacetic hasn't kicked the ball for us yet we still do need a, I still agree we need another body in that mix to get Gakpo out of that mix yeah. but you know Thiago's not played a minute for us yet so there's four footballers who've basically not even played a game yet and we want to add one more into that mm-hmm. and I agree for safety's sake we, we very much should be doing that Um but we have got we're all, we're all right in terms of general coverage at the moment Um but yeah, it is the what it is the what happens next and I, I was postulating this I don't know how likely Gavin Birch is, but if you could get Endo and Gavin Birch <laughs> for the amount of money that you paid for Fabinho, million. you got for Fabinho, then that's that's actually re- we've reacted to that situation a bit. 
it's been a bit of a mess in how we've got to it, but I'm quite pleased. With, I'd be quite pleased with that as if, a general thing. But if Gravenberch for twenty, was it twenty or thirty That's mil? Toby Alcheffel told me twenty last week. Yeah, that is a steal. I don't even care Crazy. if we don't need him. You go and that is daylight <laughs> robbery. That yeah. Yeah. you just go and get that. And lad. the thing with that is, Chloe, it's always up to the fact we've liked him for like eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? twenty so. mil for Ryan Gravenberch, a, 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 a talent who I thought was going to be a generational talent before he moved to Bayern Munich. He's not had his chance at Bayern Munich under Jurgen Klopp. It seems a no-brainer, and I know he's not. You don't know DM. I think he can do a job there, and if you're interchanging it with Tiara, with Endo, with Gravenberch, and then in January you go and get the DM that you want, and he moves further up the pitch. I cannot explain a midfield three that you're picking between of Gravenberch, Sobislai, and McAllister when you've got Tiago on the bench, Endo somewhere in the mix, potentially an Andre or someone. You know, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott. It is outrageous. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd love Still need for a us to go and get them, bitch. No, I agree. <laughs> I'd love Decore. I'd really want yeah. Decore. But I also think if we get Decore, if we could You're just if we could just get the other 20 mil exactly. for... And that, that, that's not, the thing for me. Yeah. For yeah. You're talking yeah. 70 million pounds for Decore. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's about probably be us about done unless they find some clever little diddle to just get another body in defensively or whatever and again comes back to it there's clearly pathways and options it feels to me like they're trying to box the midfield in the, the smartest way possible before and then see what's left in the budget to work out how, what else you can fix with, with that amount of money just we had a super chat from uh, Matty Gorman uh, who says FSG bought the club for 300 million uh, since year and the valuation is 4 to 5 billion would it be too much of an ask to have a net spend proper rebuild of 250 to 300 million I think Jürgen does Deserves that, yeah. I, again, I, I think people get a little lost on the net spend of it sometimes. Is that you know? I just want us to make sure we bought enough that the right players, and that'll that'll come in due course. Um, I, I thought this was the summer. By the way, I thought we were going to go big. I thought this was the summer to we go did big. Try, we just absolutely <laughs> failed it beyond belief. Yeah. Um, Back to Ryan Gravenberch. I totally take your point here, but if you get 20 mil for Ryan Gravenberch, I don't need to spend 250 exactly. to 300 mil okay. because you get Ryan Gravenberch for 20. He's English, technically, for this this one year. Yeah. So you can worry about offloading people next year if needed. That still leaves one spot if you want the centre-back. You mean he's under 21? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. he's technically still classing as me English pl- player. So... Even though he's, I know no, he's, he's just, Dutch, and uh, he's Dutch. He just doesn't need registering, but yes, yeah. I'm, but I'm still saying the English. He's not taking. No, what you mean is he's not taking up one of your non-home yes. spots because he's under twenty-one. Yeah. But also on top of that, you can go and splurge on a, a centre back if the the one you want. If you we need one, let's be honest. But it just I'd I'd like to call it, but if it doesn't also get us a centre back and then we also feel like we need to do something in January maybe it is that you don't spend as much right now but you get boss footballers and you can do your job until yeah. January where you can <coughs> improve it even more anyone else want to add to that? no I, I agree with largely what everybody said I think I think Ultimately, Liverpool are being reactive to a situation at the moment and it's late in the transfer window and they're not going to be able to get the players out of the clubs that they thought they maybe could have got two or three weeks ago and they're trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Um, and as far as the Super Chat goes, I'm struggling to see what the valuation does for anything. Um, does, is, I think does, he just means that because they've made so much profit from it. They haven't they made any profit from it though, have they? They've not sold it. But yeah, they're going to say if they were selling now for that money, well, they that haven't made sense. But if they were, that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then, then it would be. Then it would be. It would matter. 
Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, it makes no difference whatsoever. What the valuation of a football? Do you think the investment is. might have played a part? The investments in should be a big fucking thing. But Manchester mm. United have fucked that up, haven't they? For yeah. us, you know what I mean? It's like they've not gone yet. By the look of it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So listen, make no bones about it. What was the guy's name? Sorry, or Matty Goldman? Matty. Um, Liverpool have messed this up. Yeah. I think Liverpool, I don't think, have spent what they had planned to spend in the areas they wanted to spend it. They are now making the best out of a bad situation, trying to find other ways to fix their other deficiencies in the squad with the money that they've got remaining. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we'd have signed Casado, we wouldn't have had anybody else come in, to be yeah, honest with you. Yeah. And, and that actually could have been a mistake as well. And it might have been a worse mistake. You just don't know. It's sliding doors. And after, sorry, there's also a point of... Like you, you mentioned, bring Casado in. There's not another Casado on the market. Okay, what and you I, say? And I think that's what it comes down to sometimes. And this is where we've at least signed Endo, who looks again. He looks a decent player. You've not bought someone who's got who's injury prone, or you know, then the loan thing where I know, I know, but anyway, but he's he, he's not being injury prone. He might take, he might develop to be injury prone, but he can't. <laughs> do it again. Do it, it again. Up to this point, he hasn't been injury prone. That's true. That's a fact. Um, the um, and again, he's got lots of other bits and pieces that, you, that you're going for. And in terms of a short-term punt, I think you've 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 done as well as you possibly could do there. It's whether it comes down <coughs> to do they look at like Jake Decordy and go, is he actually for that money? Is he worth? Does he actually fulfil the brief of what we're looking for for that? I don't I don't know the answer answer to that one. And then again, are you better off spending your money elsewhere? I just hope that they do spend. Yeah. the money yeah. somewhere because there are other needs in this squad we either need a left side of 10 to the half or we need another right back or something in between or both or whatever there are other things you can do to move this on if you if if that midfielder if we needed that defensive midfielder to be a Caicedo a Lavia plus a, a or whatever we need a specific profile and we can't fulfil that are we changing what we do and then do we need to go and buy for that Instead, and whatever, as long as we're doing, as long as there's some joined up thinking going on, I don't really care how it, what shape it looks, how much it costs. But at the moment, that the, we've got to finish spending on the midfield, and then he needs to decide what they're doing with that defense. Because right now, we are we're at, we're a man short in that def- in the defense. No matter which formation we play, if we play three box today, it's left side of centre half. If we're sticking with four three three or four two three one or whatever, it's it's right back because. Or centre back because if Gomez is your right cover, then you're putting a lot on him and mm. Trent. Well, he's probably your right season. cover and your left cover, maybe if you left side of the centre half yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I mean, now Matt Canate and Matip's injury history hasn't been yeah. good enough for us. So mm. there's a you know you need a right back, a right side of centre half as well. So yeah, the, the the squad has been wholly mismanaged for a long time. I think in terms of the 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 right type of people and right type of bodies. We need to fix it. I, I just I don't care how much we spend as long as we get the right people and the right positions are filled by the end of summer. I honestly don't care how much we spend. It could be five million, it could be five hundred million, I'm not bothered. As long as the what I perceive to be the weaknesses aren't weaknesses by sort of September the second, they're not bothered. And for me right now that remains another midfield option. One that can do different positions in there is fine by me. If you can play the six, great. If you can play a bit of an eight sound as well, I'm happy with that. Gravenberg or Andre both fulfill those. Um and I think for me it will be the left side of centre back. I think that's our biggest glaring weakness yeah. right now. And just on the decore, so I also spoke to Sammy Mochbell the other day on him, and we've all mentioned the fee. It is between 70 and 80 million, absolutely. And the problem we've got with him is 
is the fact that whether Liverpool think he's worth it or not, the walls has been muddied now by Declan Rice and Moises Caicedo for yeah. you, so Palace think he's worth it. Simple as that. And that's yeah. what you've got to pay. You might return for him maybe next summer if you sort of kick the can down the road with an endo and he might not be 70, 80 million anymore because the, the market's changed It's by just then. where the, the, the worst thing, and we do, we do this every other season where we leave ourselves slightly on paper short in a particular position mm. when we're looking at it you know we did it with the left back thing Milner did a, when then Milner did a full season there and he was he was he was pretty good at it we did it with the centre half and it bit us in the arse big time we did it midfield and it bit us in the arse last last season I wouldn't like I would feel really uncomfortable if we're saying it's all on end though but the thing is it's not you know there are the clear, well, again I think it's one of them where McAllister's McAllister's done a good job, actually, mm. but, but I don't want, but I don't want McAllister playing there. But it, maybe he tells you a little bit of something of, can you go and get again this? Get someone who can do a bit of it. Just let McAllister play in the eighth mm-hmm. and get someone else in who can do the eight mm-hmm. six thing. That's why Gravenberch makes sense in that regard. But it might not be him, but someone else of yeah. that of that ilk does make it does make. A and, and one final point on the net spend, I suppose, addressing it from the comments. Like we, I think I'm right in saying that 115 for Caicedo and then maybe 105 give or take for. Sobersly and McAllister puts it at 220 with a recouping about 50. We were looking at 170 million net spend anyway, if you want to look at that type of stuff, mm-hmm. which is really unliverpool like, by the way. Which I know it's up to 250 or 300 million, but Jesus wept like. Yeah. That's. Yeah. huge sums of and money and it comes down us. to it because we always get this with like Arsenal spend loads of money and, and all this and look City do because City are a law unto themselves which we all know which we shouldn't really be getting lost in but you know Arsenal's wage bills like half of what Liverpool's is because they're not at the top yet so they've got room to manoeuvre in terms of how they do Liverpool and having to maintain a squad full of the best players on the still some of the best players on the planet whilst also adding to it and so yeah they're in a their spend is a bit more complicated to follow than it is for, for certain other ones but it's not like I'm defending it I'm not it just is it just is what it is um, loads of super chats uh, Brett uh, just says up the reds from Kansas City Missouri in the US thank you so much nice. Brett um, Jaden Gra- uh, Granville says I need a holiday after the transfer window shuts <laughs> honestly I, I said this before I, I really love the transfer window I, um, I love it when until- did you go holiday <laughs> It's my well, favourite time of year. Right over the closing of the transfer window. I love it, it until it gets <laughs> to this point where it's just a constant rea- oh, swinging of reactions, like bipolar from everything's incredible to everything's totally fucked. And it's never it's never really ever like that because while it's... Yeah, I'm talking about you, Chloe. I'm just um, um, <laughs> it was the fact that like half one in the morning on a random Friday I was possibly the happiest I've ever been in my life and then by 10am I was the most depressed I've ever been it was incredible and you'd had about 45 minutes in between yeah. that as well uh, uh, to Joe says if we got uh to Corey Gravenberch to go with Slobby, I and Macha. <laughs> that could be just as good as Gerard, Zabby and Mascano. Yep, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the yeah, the bipolar nature of it is what it is. You can't... It, it, I just saw so many people who read the Pierce headline as and they, they interpreted it as Liverpool aren't buying any more footballers, yeah. <laughs> which is not what he said. And it might be what happens, but it's that's not what he said. So if you're gonna to react to something, like react to what's actually been said, and then if we don't sign anyone, then react to that when it closes. But again, as I said, then Liverpool, if then Liverpool are boss without it, react to that and let it go. But yeah, yeah, feel your feelings, however you want to feel them. Ultimately, um, I just don't. I don't feel them 
quite as acutely as people on social media seem to. But there you go. Um, right, cool quality. That is that for now. There'll be more, I'm sure. Uh, Dan, before we go, just you've hinted at all these these boss shows you've done, but yeah. if you can cast your mind back because there's so many. Good Lord. Yeah, um, Constantine Ecker, um, Bundesliga commentator last week on Enzo. Um, Lewis Ambo's optimanalyst on Endo as well. Dan Orlowitz, Japan Times journalist on Endo. And then tomorrow I've got Kevin Hatchard on Ryan Gravenberg. That'll be always fun. He's brilliant, Kevin. Um, Sammy Mockbell um, on Jack the Corridor. And Sammy Mockbell, the man when it comes to London news. So, yeah, all that stuff. Brilliant. That's all on redmenplus.com. I, I did a deep dive. You did a deep dive. Just yeah. one deep dive. I feel like I've done my money's worth this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, not quite putting the quantity of it on, and nor the quality, to be fair, but yeah. you know, well I'm done. still here. Is that on YouTube? Punching. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Cool, baby. cool. So on redmenplus.com, <laughs> um, there's uh, Dan's all his extra shows. So if you want to get closer on, on redmenplus. All of those transfers, then go to redmenplus.com. If you use the code ENDO, you get 50% off a captain yearly subscription. So you get a full year of redmenplus uh, for 50% off your boots on all the transfer news ins and outs uh, tactics analysis insight and there's a ton of documentaries and interviews on there as well to keep you happy in the meantime when's uh, the code run till uh, well as when long as I want it to run to basically we discovered at this point um, but yeah get it done quickly because Steve's desperate to turn it off and I've fought tooth and nail to get it extended another day so uh, don't let you me you missed an opportunity there buddy because when does it endo yeah I know it was the absolute obvious end thing to the say. show no <laughs> endo the show right thank you so much for watching and for listening to the Rev Men Originals podcast uh, if you are live here with us come and join us for the Bias Transfer podcast Podcast over on redmenplus.com right now. We're going Everton. Akaizado and Everton uh, and more. So, yeah, see us over there. Ta-da. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.